And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines. Sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. You are once again tuning in to Civic Cypher. Indeed. And we are taking you through our experience at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Um, we will continue that in just a bit, uh, so stay tuned for that as well as um, the way Black History Fact today we are talking about um, Benjamin Banneker, the uh, individual um, who was charged with designing Washington, D.C. and us having spent some time in D.C., seeing how it's laying out, um, seeing the building, the old buildings, and knowing that there was black hands that built those buildings uh, is definitely something we're excited to share with you uh, on today's episode as well. But uh, like we always do at this time, let's discuss becoming a better ally, Baba. Uh, today is Baba, sponsored by Major Threads for the finest in uh, men's athletic wear. Check majorthreads.com. And for today's Become a Better Ally, Baba, we would like for you to take a virtual tour. Um, as much as we can talk about this, uh, we recognize that radio is very different from uh, other media. Uh, and, and we can't show you pictures, but you can't see them online. We can't show you videos, but you can't see them online. And of course, there's nothing that will top actually being there and feeling, you know, the weight um, and having it change you and move through you. But I wanted to recommend a few museums that we know uh, we, we work with, and um, I think they're wonderful for you to visit. So first up, of course, is the one we're talking about today, the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. Um, of course, you can find that online, but if you have a pen or otherwise able to write it down, it's nmaahc.si.edu. I know it's a bit wordy, but Google will get you there. Uh, NM is National Museum of African American History and Culture. SI, of course, is Smithsonian Institute and EDU. EDU. So if you need to remember it, that's that. The other is the National Civil Rights Museum. Um, I want to send a big shout out to Dr. Russell Wigginton, uh, who's a friend of ours, friend of the show. Um, he's the curator of that museum. And that is the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, where Dr. King uh, was shot and killed. Um, and uh, you can do a virtual tour there at civilrightsmuseum.org. So we'd love for you to check that one out, too. We think that you can become a better ally by doing that. And, of course, the National Museum of African-American Music. Uh, Henry Hicks is a curator there, another good friend of the show. And you can find out more at nmaam.org. So please educate yourselves. All right. So back to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. So. Uh, we were discussing the paradox of liberty. Um, and that's a strange point in the journey, right? Slavery is still happening. Again, the museum is laid out in chronological order. So slavery is still happening. But now there's a declaration of independence for this country. This country is now not the 13 original colonies. Now it is a separate nation. And as they write this declaration of independence... And as indeed they write their constitution, they, meaning the founding fathers, who all have statues on this exhibit that we're now standing in front of, are 
being extremely hypocritical. Again, it's the paradox of liberty. That's what it's called. They are explaining exactly what it is that is inalienable, exactly what it is that they want, um, what they refuse to tolerate, so forth and so on. But they'll turn right around later in the day and impose uh, their will on other human beings. And of course, at this point now, it's uh, race-based uh, slavery in the United States. It's not slavery just for the sake of slavery. No, all the black people are slaves or sub subject to slavery. None of the white people, right? Indentured servitude, you know, that sort of thing uh, is fine, but you cannot be a slave um, if you're white, not in the way that black people are. No one's going to buy you and sell you. That's that's not, you know, you have rights still. So um, we spent some time there at that exhibit. And I know that one was kind of a big deal to you. The, the thing that stood out most to me about this entire moment we spent in the museum is that even those participating in this moment in history couldn't help but to point out the hypocrisy themselves. Mm -hmm. This didn't stop them from perpetuating it. But even they noticed this is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, but it goes back to commodifying us. Mm -hmm. No, this stuff that we're talking about is for men. Yeah, These rights and freedoms, this is for men. Those aren't men. Those aren't people. That's our property. This is strengthening our right to our property. These freedoms that all men are promised are helping us bolster the subjugation of our commodities over here. It's necessary for us to do this to protect ourselves and our property. Not their homes and I was going to say not their cattle, but I think they very, very much considered us very similar oh, yeah. to their cattle. And again, we, we, we make note of the speed or lack thereof with regard to progress in this country. Mm -hmm. We can't pretend we haven't made any. That's fair. Yeah. But we can be insulted by it. It's like it stopped at some point got to a point where things were just good enough and that passion to fight for more seemingly dissipated. Well, not around here. <laughs> All right. Um, so we, we move on and uh, you, you know, it continues telling the story now, obviously it's, a, it's its own country. It's the United States of America now, you know, um, and then slaves, of course, it's illegal to teach people who are black to read and write. That didn't stop black people from learning um, and leaving behind stories. And so some of these stories are in the museum. Um, and so you get a glimpse into what life is like as a slave. I remember there's like an audio recording of a woman who was recalling what it feels like to be at a slave auction. And she's like, you know, I'm standing there naked and these 
white, strange white men, they come up to me and they grab on my naked body and they feel on me and then they grab my head and then they roll my eyes up so they can see the whites of my eyes. And then they pull my lips down to look at my teeth. And then they turn my head side to side and they examine, you know, my body. And then they bid on me. And everyone is watching while this is happening. Um, and there's another uh, uh, quote excerpt from uh, a writer. Her name is Elizabeth Freeman. And this is very powerful. When you see it, you know, you, when you see how they've presented it to the, to the, uh, um, visitor of the museum, then you kind of get a little bit more of the weight of it. But it says, if one minute's freedom had been offered to me and I had been told I must die at the end of that minute, I would have taken it. Mm -hmm. So that gives you a, a sense of exactly what these human beings were dealing with. One minute of freedom and I had to die at the end of it, I would have taken it. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said about her, but, um, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll share a story. She deserves to, for you to know about her. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Freeman, known as Mumbet, was born into slavery and one, was one of the first people to successfully sue for her freedom in the new nation. Freeman was a revolutionary war widow enslaved by John Ashley, a powerful Massachusetts attorney. When she overheard a discussion about the Massachusetts Constitution, she seized on its guarantee of liberty to bring uh, her lawsuit. Her claim to freedom changed her life and helped end slavery in Massachusetts. So that's who uh, said that if she had to live one uh, minute free and then die at the end of it, she would take it. Um, then other popular names uh, to those of us who have been able to learn a little bit about our history. We learned a little bit about Nat Turner. Um, if you don't know about Nat Turner, uh, he's a person who's perhaps mostly known for sl a slave revolt and uh, you take it by force, you know, and it's important to know his name. You know, a lot of non-black people look at him and be like, well, he was killing white folks. And I don't know that that was his mission as much as it was killing the enslavers. Um, but Nat Turner is not a bad guy. Um, he's a person, he's a human being who's sought his customary freedom, uh, as any creature endowed with consciousness may seek to do. Um, one of the things that was really special that we got to see is, uh, Harriet Tubman's, uh, handkerchief and her hymnal uh, I have no idea how the museum has this but it's there and it tells you know the story about Harriet Tubman and to be that close to that type of history you know and and you might not think that's that special a handkerchief you know what I mean that's what is that a hymnal that what is that but think about you know, these are human beings that weren't allowed to own anything. These are, you know what I'm saying? So anything they left behind, anything that these echoes of the past mean so much to us, you know, they, they, they matter and they don't have a, there's no worth to it. It's, it's priceless to us. 
to, to not touch it, not own it, to stand next to Harriet Tubman's handkerchief. That felt very special to me. And, and I, again, I hope that one day, uh, you will go and visit and learn about your people. If you're black or your brothers and sisters, if you're not, um, there's probably very few experiences in your life that would be worth your time more than this one, than this one. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't matter. I remember I saw a man there. Uh, he was, um, older white man. This was right around the, uh, Harriet Tubman thing where she, her handkerchief was. And I saw him there and he didn't know me. I didn't know him, but we were kind of in the same traveling group. We had just gone through the slavery exhibit and, you know, we're, so now it's just like, look, man, we're all in this together, right? That feeling is there. And I saw he was really taking it in. And I, and I, and I, I didn't grab him, but I kind of like touched him. And I was like, Hey man, and remember he's all gray hair. He looked like, like a, like a politician, a lawmaker, whatever, you know, one of those types of people. Right. And I'm like, Hey man, uh, I, I just want to say thank you for coming to this. And he's like, you, you, you're thanking me for coming to this. And I was like, yes, man, I, I don't, suppose that you have to be here i don't suppose suppose that if you don't want any of this stuff to mean anything to you then it won't do you think he was american because when he started talking back to you he seemed to have a bit of an accent maybe maybe um and he also seemed gracious yeah yeah like caught off guard initially because his his he said it out loud you're thanking me yep <laughs> um but i think as he started to understand the gravity of of why you were expressing that that it hit him in a way too um and that was one of many, many interactions sure. that stood out on that day so i i mean it means a lot to me like i'm not um what is it what i think I'm, I'm not a woman but i do my best to be a supportive of women's issues as i can be I, it just so happens to be the case that i'm black but if i was not black i would be very supportive of black people because i recognize that there's forces that artificially suppress what would otherwise be the trajectory of black life culture experiences um in this country you know what i mean and so anybody who steps outside of their comfort zone to help someone else I love that because I think that I'm that type of person. So it's really easy for me to thank folks who are not black in the black history museum. Um, okay. So moving on, I want to, uh, oh, there's a, a wall there with a, um, like a, a quote etched into it. It's from Maya Angelou. It says, Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. Uh, so now we're kind of moving away from um, slavery past the uh, 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 Civil War. Um, and there's where another um, etch on the wall there, another phrase etched into the wall. And it's, uh, we, we call it the Black National Anthem, but it's lift, lift every voice and sing. And something special happened 
because we walked past it and there was a group of people who had just walked up to it. And so we're, we're on a different level, but it's in kind of an open area. So we're not with them at all. Uh, but we heard them singing it down there. Some, a group of maybe three, four women. And it's a museum, mind you, very quiet in there. But the blackest thing ever happened, <laughs> right? They started to sing. The lyrics are on the wall. They started to sing it, right? And so we're up at the top, me and Q. And uh, our, we had our partner, Chris, with us. He was filming. So we're up there. So we're they needed some bass. They so, needed some tenor. Yeah. So we we started we started to join in and sing, lift every voice and sing with them. It's there's no music, there's nothing. It's just it if you this is such a difficult show for me to do, man. I'm do, I'm doing my best, you guys. Thank you for listening. I I'm normally have it, but this is a lot. They started singing. So we started singing. And then other people started singing. And in this giant open space where people are having this experience. The acoustics were fantastic. Yes. And we're just singing this song and it, people are joining in and nobody's shushing us. It was, it was very, very black experience. Um, I'm grateful that that happened in my life. I just noticed the last part that you said, no one had a problem with us singing mm -hmm. in this very sacred, very quiet, mm -hmm. uh, very, uh, revered space mm -hmm. not only did no one have a problem with it but as you said yeah you know more and more people would stop and lend their voice to us it was i would guess that that wasn't the first time that's ever happened mm. and i would guess that's not the last time that's going to happen um this you know this history that we talk about is is very difficult but i wouldn't trade it for the world mm. it's beautiful I'm so proud of these people that had short lives. I'm so anyway, now we're um, talking about um, segregation. So, you know, there's all these signs. They, they, they actually have the signs, you know, um, the waiting rooms uh, for whites only by order of the police department. Um, you know, we, we, we went into a, a train. There's, there's an actual train that was a segregated a train car, train car. So you get a chance to see what the white part of the train section look like in the white bathrooms and where the white people put their luggage and how their seats are set up. And then the black part of the train car and how it's very different and very small. Of course, it's not equal. And I'm sure you would assume that. But we had a chance to go through a period I don't want to even say period correct. It's like the, the literal train car that was restored. Um, and so we had a chance to, to check that out as well. Um, and then right after that came the Emmett Till exhibit because this was the precursor to the civil rights movement. Um, for those that don't know, when Emmett Till died, that kind of supercharged the civil rights movement in that, that came in the sixties. Uh, in the United States. Um, and uh, that that one was very difficult. So Q, why don't you take this one? Because I'm running out of steam here. <laughs> That's why there's two of us on this show. 
I don't want to be crying in front of y'all. <laughs> uh, very recently, the the sequel to Black Panther came out, mm-hmm. and I actually got invited to a private screening for that film. And afterwards, I was talking to a journalist about what I thought the director's intentions were with how we should feel when we saw that movie because the the reviews were mixed. Some people were disappointed. Some people were upset. Some people were even angry uh, for reasons that (laughs) didn't make much sense to me. But, you know, people have their reasons. There is a scene in that movie, however, when the daughter of the queen is taken on a mission. And the queen really insisted that she not be taken, like insisted that she not go because the worst possible outcomes she knew she would not be able to bear. And somehow that moment in watching that film reminded me of Emmett Till's story and his mother not wanting him to go and visit his relatives in the South because it was not a mystery how black people were treated all over the country, but more specifically in the South. And I'm going to intentionally avoid the details of how Emmett Till was murdered. Google Emmett Till, read his story, say his name, Look at the face of a child that never got to be older than the picture that you're going to see when you Google him. He's probably 14 years old on that picture that you're going to see. Um, But his mother is such. Capital G. His mother. Admitted some things. That she never really had to. Right. That she was dismissive almost of the trouble of black people in the South. Like that's their problem. It's not ours kind of thing. And she admitted after losing her son that she. Taken a very. uh, Calloused and kind of selfish approach to the plight of the Southern blacks as she had a much different experience in Chicago where she lived. But she made the heroic, selfless decision for Emmett's funeral to be open casket so that people could see the gruesome, disgusting and terrifying way this child was murdered. And that they would all have to feel and reconcile with not just the injustice, but the inhumane treatment of people that looked like us in this country at the time. And we walked into this this exhibit where there were no photos allowed uh, and saw this small casket intended for a child and really collectively had to figure out how to emotionally reconcile and continue through the museum because I don't think we were prepared when we turned that corner for there to be yeah, a casket in there. That, that was what we were going to see. And if you walked up close enough, you could see him. You could see the photograph of his face. And that uh, I personally was not prepared for. Um, And that's all that we have time for today. But 
suffice it to say the museum goes on there's lots of joyous wonderful things there as well lots more history um and our hope is that you make the time you take the trip and you uh learn so please do but now it's time for the way black history fact uh today's way black history fact is sponsored by the black information network daily podcast um and today's reading comes from whitehousehistory.org as promised we're talking about benjamin banneker so i will read benjamin banneker a free african-american man living in a slave state in the 18th century never knew the weight of iron shackles or the crack of an overseer's whip a native of baltimore county maryland his experience diverged from those of most african-americans living in the early united states received a formal education during his youth, maintained his property and farm as an adult, and parlayed his intellectual gifts into national prestige. Despite his many accomplishments, however, Banneker was forced to navigate the same racial prejudices that African Americans often faced in both slave and free states. In many ways, his story is a historical anomaly. He assisted with the initial survey of Washington, D.C., published abolitionist material south of the Mason-Dixon line and engaged with some of the country's founders in a way no black man had before. However, Banneker's life also reflects the defining paradox of the early United States. Is that word again? Paradox. Mm -hmm. A land of freedom and opportunity with insurmountable racial qualifiers, which the nation's capital would come to embody. Born on November 9, 1731, Banneker grew up on a 100-acre tobacco farm owned by his parents, a formerly enslaved man and the daughter of a mixed-race couple along the Patapsco River in the area now known as Oella. As African-American homesteaders, the family experienced not just freedom, but also a quintessentially American vision of independence and economic self-determination that was rarely possible for non-whites. Still, the color of their skin alienated them from the community of nearby farmers. Amid a rising tide of sentiment against free blacks in the colonies, Banneker's family had to tread lightly in their own neighborhood. Nevertheless, Benjamin received an education that was uncommon, not just for his race, but for his geographic location where literacy was relatively low. His grandmother, an Irish-born former indentured servant, taught him how to read and write, and Benjamin continued his studies alongside both white and black classmates at a one-room school nearby. His hunger for knowledge went beyond the classroom. In his early 20s, Banneker gained local admiration by hand-carving wooden clock that kept perfect time. He had studied the gears of a pocket watch to match, master the mechanics. There would not have been many clocks in rural Maryland in the mid-18th century, and Banneker's was later referred to as one of the curiosities of the wild region. Though Banneker hosted many visitors who came to see the clock, it took him years to find an intellectual community. In 1771, the Ellicotts, a Quaker family from Pennsylvania, moved to Baltimore County and established a grist mill just a few miles down the road from Banneker's tobacco farm. Perhaps owing to his reputation as a man of letters or due to his curiosity about construction of the mill, Banneker soon connected with his new neighbors, in particular George Ellicott, a land surveyor with a passion for astronomy who loaned Banneker technical books and lunar tables. Banneker had already sold off some of his land to finance his retirement, and since he was spending less time on the farm, he quickly mastered the discipline. In 1789, the year he turned 58, he forecast his first eclipse. Meanwhile, the stars were aligning for Banneker on Earth. On July 16, 1790, Congress passed the Residence Act, establishing a new federal city, city to be constructed along the Potomac River. President George Washington appointed three commissioners to oversee its construction, and Andrew Ellicott, George's cousin, was brought on as practical engineer. 
needing assistance on the project and with his unusual associates otherwise occupied sorry with his usual associates otherwise occupied andrew invited banneker to join him in mapping out the future seat of the federal government it was the first time in his life banneker ventured more than 10 miles from his home letters from ellicott show that in february 1791 he set out with banneker and several field laborers for, for jones point virginia to plot the boundary lines of the nascent federal city because of his age, health, and the harsh winter climate, Banneker's primary responsibilities were in the observatory tent, where he maintained the regulator clock using a series of thermometers and a transit altitude instrument. Each day, Ellicott would use the regular clock to set his own timepiece, which he would use to determine latitude. At night, Banneker would record astronomical observations. He was paid $2 a day for his work, less than Ellicott's $5, but commiserate with salary for an assistant surveyor at that time. President Washington and Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson, whose 1785 book Notes on the State of Virginia stated that people of African descent were intellectually inferior to whites. We're, uh, oh, sorry, were aware of Banneker's participation. Meanwhile, an article about the survey in the Georgetown Weekly Ledger praised Banneker's abilities. Ellicott is attended by Benjamin Banneker, an Ethiopian whose abilities as surveyor and an astronomer clearly prove that Mr. Jefferson's concluding that race of men were void of mental endowments was without foundation. Uh, and that's a quote from the uh, Georgetown Weekly Ledger. Uh, on April 15, 1791, the commissioners Ellicott and spectators took part in a ceremony at jones point to install the first of four stone markers that would mark the corners of the federal district while banneker was not mentioned in any of the reports from that day he undoubtedly would have attended in april 1792 about a year after banneker returned to his farm washington's appointed commissioners initiated the practice of renting enslaved laborers from their owners for capital building projects mostly to cut labor costs the work of enslaved people thus underguided the construction of the capital whose territory banneker had helped survey from the clearing and paving of roads to the quarrying and transporting of stone to the building of the white house and the capitol building uh, a free black man who was self-made uh who was surveying the future capital would seem to align with the american ideals of individualism individualism and equal opportunity but the epic construction projects for which banneker helped paint plant the first stake were carried out heavily on the backs of enslaved laborers people of common descent who were explicit explicitly denied those ideals in this sense banneker lived at the center of conflicting stories about the founding of the united states a contradiction that Washington, D.C. epitomized. Moreover, his interactions with whites from abolitionists like Rittenhouse to a slave owner like Jefferson show that even free blacks never escaped the confines of race. While he was rightfully, while he has rightfully been held up as an example of African-American excellence, Banneker's presence at this ideological crossroad and his persistence through it also makes his story definitively American with no qualifiers warranted. Um... And so we thought that that was also important to share. Uh, and of course, the uh, museum, uh, or sorry, the National Museum of African American History and Culture has uh, quite a bit to say about him as well, because it's based in D.C., which of course is where Banneker um, is now most known for making an impact on this country. Um, and 
that among many other reasons, you know, uh, the exhibit on the red tails, the exhibit on the civil rights movement, uh, the BLM movement, uh, the music, um, the, the food, the fashion, all of it is there and the contributions are immense. And I really do hope that you get a chance to see it. But that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cipher. So once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. Um, thank you to the Smithsonian for having us. We can't wait to go back because the few hours we spent there just wasn't enough. Not at all. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to visiting again in the very, very near future. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, they, they, they told us that it takes two days to see everything. They said that you won't get out of there in less than five hours, and they were right on both accounts. So um, for those of you who feel like you have that, there's something missing, or maybe you want to know more, either way, check it out. Uh, and with that said, um, that's it. So Subscribe, any like, questions, share, yeah. comment. Website, civiccypher.com. Follow us on all social media at Civic Cipher. Um, download this in any previous episode. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated showing you where rhyme travel is. World is between from sunlight to moon. Busting off stage like gunfight saloons. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. Love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question that ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.